What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast from discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and we are back from a little bit of a break where we enjoyed the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. It was fantastic. I had an incredible time leading you guys in worship as I do every single year. And I hope that you enjoyed your time there too. And if you didn't make it this year, I'm so sorry you missed a really good one, but we are gonna start diving through some of the track sessions that were led at the event this year. We're jumping into those track sessions early this year because actually we are turning around and doing another forum in April of 2023. So we're going to try to get through those track sessions and get those into your ears as quickly as possible. So that's what's going on. This first track session is brought to you by Chris Harper from Better Man, and he describes what it looks like to make a call to men to become godly and to lead their family and in their social context. So let's go ahead and hear from Chris from Better Man. Here we go. Team, good afternoon. Okay, about half of y'all. That's good. Everybody having a good afternoon? Great. Glad to be here at the discipleship.org conference and learning and gathering together, talking about probably one of the most important things that a follower of King Jesus can talk about, and that's how to make disciples who make disciples. Amen? Amen. I'm a little out of breath right now. That's why I'm talking a little slow. I had to go get my reading glasses, and this church is built into the side of a mountain. (laughs) So I've been going up and down stairs for the last five minutes, so I'm just going to take a deep breath. I'm telling you, you I, I'm getting older. Man, I've, um, I've never not been discipled. I've never not been discipled. I did not realize how rare that was until recently. I came to faith at a, at a large church, what would be called a mega church, um, accepted Jesus Christ as my, as my king, as my savior, I came to the realization that my sin separated me from my Creator. That's why I was hopeless. And that King Jesus bridges that gap, that He is the giver of hope. Man, and I I dedicated my life to Him. Um, I follow Him. I didn't know what to do at that moment, so I did what I thought Christians do, and I just went to a service event. My church was hosting a big service event, so I went and I walked through the doors of that service event, And this 70-year-old man turned and looked at me and said, Son, you've got the countenance of the Lord on you. I said, Bro, I have no idea what that means. (laughs) He says, Do you know what God wants from you? I said, No. He says, He desires obedience before sacrifice. He said, You know where that's at? I said, No. And every Wednesday night, he brought me to his kitchen table and he walked me through the Bible. And he discipled me. He taught me about the Bible. He taught me how to share my faith. Six months into our relationship, he said, hey, I'm turning 71 next week and I want you to come to my pool party. I said, I don't know. That's A, kind of awkward. And, and B, I, don't, I wouldn't know what to do at a 71-year-old's pool party. And he said, no, I want you there. I said, man, I don't, I'm not really comfortable with that. 
So the Wednesday night before the pool party, his wife calls me, Miss Georgetta calls me and says, hey, Mr. Don would really like for you to be at that pool party. I'm like, well, I guess I have to if his bride is calling me. So I go to Kroger and I buy a 71-year-old man a cookie cake because I don't know what else to do. So I show up at this birthday party with a cookie cake and at the party, he introduces me to his granddaughter whom I marry. We've been married now 14 years and we have four kids under the age of 10. It's loud in my house. The greatest honor and privilege of my life was flying back to that mega church two years ago and preaching his funeral. And uh, I will forever be indebted to that man. I have never not been discipled. I did not realize how few people have experienced that. So what I've done for the last um, so many years of my life is I've given it over to discipleship, uh, specifically the discipling of men. So today I serve at an organization called Better Man. Um, If you are familiar with Men's Fraternity, if you're familiar with the 33 series, uh, Dr. Robert Lewis, um, it was uh, his, his child. He, he, he birthed it. Um, Better Man today is the iteration of Men's Fraternity and 33. We're just not allowed to say it because we sold it to Lifeway 10 years ago. But that's what Better Man is. It's aimed at uh, Gen Z, Gen X, Millennials, and we offer a timeless definition of what a man is. Take a hundred pastors, line them against the wall and say, tell us what it means to be a man. 50 will not be able to answer and the other 50 will give you multiple definitions. I tell people all the time in the 1970s, it was, I don't need a man. In the 1990s, it was, I don't want a man. And in 2022, it is, what is a man? We've lost the definition of what it means to be a man. And here's a principle that I want you to never forget. You cannot become what you cannot define. You can't become what you can't define. If you can't define it, you can't become it. So what our organization does is offer a timeless Definition of biblical manhood. Um, I was told that the feedback from all these breakout sessions, uh, the number one complaint they get is when people get up and stump for their organization. So this is the last time I'm talking about mine. We believe the definition of manhood, we call it the four W's. This is what a real man does. A real man courageously follows the word of God. Courageously follows the word of God. A real man loves and protects God's woman. He loves and he protects God's woman. A real man excels. Excels at God's work. He's faithful to whatever task God's called him to do, whether that's picking up trash or performing open heart surgery. It does not matter. As a matter of fact, I tell churches all the time that you know the gospel has taken root in your church when a garbage man can disciple a CEO and no one thinks differently about it. Fourthly, a real man betters 
God's world, betters God's world. And typically he does this through, through shepherding, through fatherhood. That's about better man. Over the next four lectures, this track, we're going to look at uh, men as a problem today. We're going to look at what men need uh, to be discipled and then to make disciples. Uh, we call it the Logos. They need the Word of God. We call it a language. They need a new language, which is really the theology behind manhood. And they need a license. Uh, years, many years ago, I was a church planner with Dave and John Ferguson. was so happy to see Todd Wilson from Exponential here. I'll never forget what Dave Ferguson told me. He said, man, if you want to activate people, you got to give them a language and you got to give them a license. If you can do that, you can activate them. Couple that with Tom Nelson, the great Tom Nelson, Denton Bible Church in Denton, Texas, when he said, Chris, if you can only do one thing, go after the men. That's what Tommy Nelson used to always say. If you can only do one thing, go after the men. So these next four lectures, these four lessons, we're going to talk about giving men the logos, the language, the license. If you have not picked up on it yet, I am from Texas. Everything is bigger in Texas, and really, it's better. Don't send me an email. I said it. Texas is a great state. Everything's bigger in Texas. You can drive 15 hours and still be in Texas. Texas is the only state where the state capital, the dome, is eight feet higher than the dome at Washington, D.C. We do that on purpose. It's the only state in the union that prints its own textbooks. Why? Because Texas history is better than American history. <laughs> this is true. And every year our congressman stands up in D.C. and he makes a motion to succeed, but it never gets followed up on. Everything's bigger in Texas. Tom Nelson made that big statement. I'll never forget it. If you can only do one thing, go for the men. Win the men. If you are leading a ministry, if you are a pastor, listen to my words today. This is so good. It's so true. When we strengthen and equip men, this is what happens. We strengthen and equip homes. When we strengthen and equip homes, we strengthen and equip churches. When we strengthen and equip churches, we can literally change the world. But I'm telling you right now, it begins with the men. Christian Smith. Christian Smith is a great social scientist out of Notre Dame. If you're familiar with the term moralistic therapeutic deism, MTD, he was the one that coined that term as the great religion of the West. Well, for the last 20 years, he's moved out of the MTD space and he's moved into this space of researching how the faith is transmitted and handed down from one generation to the next. So for the last 20 years, Dr. Smith has been researching this across geographical lines, across denominational lines, across religious lines, Hinduism, Muslim, it doesn't matter. And this is what all the research says. This is what the research points to. You don't have to buy the book because I'm about to tell you the two main points of the book. Where does faith, where does faith get transmitted the best? The number one place is in the living room. And who, who is the agent of that transmission? The most important agent of that transmission, that person is the Father. So as ministry leaders, as church leaders, if we are not equipping fathers, 
equipping them to disciple people in specifically the little people under their care in the living room. We are missing the boat. We are missing the boat. We've got to go after the men. You will hear around the Better Man office. If you ever come to the Better Man office downtown Dallas, shoot me a text, shoot me a note. Um, we'll buy you some barbecue. You will hear us say, uh, we win the men, we change the world. We win the men, we change the world. So I'm going to tell you something this morning um, that took me almost 40 years to hear. And we're going to jump into the crux of what we're going to talk about this morning. But it took me 40 years to hear this, and that's that the world needs men. The world needs men. And I don't know if I've ever heard cultural say that. I don't know if I've ever heard television say that. I honestly don't know if I've ever heard a pastor publicly proclaim, men, we need you. If you take anything from this conference, if you take anything from um, your two or three times with me, maybe this will be the last time you're with me, I don't know. If you take anything from that, go back to your space of influence. Go back to your church. Go back to whatever it is ministry you lead. And I want you to publicly proclaim in front of everyone, men, we need you. I'm going to tell you why that's important. For decades, I've operated in the social science space. Everything from public policy to theology. Um, I've pastored at a mega church. Um, I've served as a president of a, of a Christian prep school. And this is what I've seen. This is what I've seen in these spaces. Whether they're sacred or secular spaces, I, I see that women appear to be hopeful why, while men appear to be disheartened. Women appear to be hopeful and men appear to be disheartened. So be it in the church or in the classroom, it appears that women are thriving while men are trying to survive. Women are hopeful and women get after it, right? They want so bad for something to happen that women make it happen. From the nursery to woman thou art loosed. Women want to see God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, so they get after it. Is it any wonder that 70% of Western churches, 70% of Western churches have an active women's ministry, less than 5% have an active men's ministry? That is staggering. Women want a generation of people to know the Lord, so they get after it. That's why most teachers in and outside of the church are women. It doesn't matter if it's public school. doesn't matter if it's private school. doesn't matter if it's Sunday school. Most teachers are women. Women are going faster and harder than men. This is what a colleague of mine from Southwestern once said. This is what he said. He said, Chris, I preach at a lot of churches. I go to a lot of different ministries and speak. He said, you want to know the one commonality I see? Uh, he said, the women are exhausted and the men are bored. He said, everywhere I go, the women are exhausted and the men are bored. And it shouldn't be like that. Whether it's in a church or an academic institution, science and experience show us that women are more active, more hopeful, and more confident than men. 
And I've personally observed this. I've observed women, younger and older, they, they walk the halls of churches and they walk the halls of schools with their heads held high, their shoulders back. They are keenly assured of, of, of who they are. They're comfortable with who they are. But with men, especially with young men, it's just different. Men will operate in one of two ways, right? Men typically are overly confident, right? They possess this false bravado, like this pseudo-courage built on a a need for self-esteem that exaggerates itself in the presence of other men and gets hyper-exaggerated in the presence of women. And the result of this false confidence is detrimental, right? It typically ends in some form of power abuse or self-destruction. This is why Dallas Willard said for years that God's chief aim is trying to find men with whom he can trust his power. That's exactly why Dr. Willard wrote that. But most men, most men aren't in that camp, that, that kind of um, hyper-masculinity camp. Most men today, they just lack confidence. Unlike their female counterparts, they walk the halls with their heads down and their shoulders slumped. You've seen men like this in your institution, in your church. They don't move confidently or gracefully in and out of social spaces. Men are just awkward. There's a timidity about them, a a fearful shyness, not not meekness or humility, more of a, I don't think I belong. And again, I've spent decades watching this play out in the halls of churches and educational spaces across America. Females are thriving, hopeful and assured, while men appear lost and numb. So I want to offer a diagnosis concerning the lostness and this apathetic fog that's enveloping men. I think men are lost because no one has told them that the world needs them. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. I think that's what's been happening the last 20 years. No one's told them that the world needs them. So, so men don't see themselves as useful because everything they see and hear and experience tells them that they're useless. All that men hear today is that they're a problem. And because of that, they've, they've lost their identity. Most men today don't really know what it means to be a man. They, they're lost. They don't know their purpose in the world. They don't know their function in the church. 
I ask again, when is the last time you heard a teacher, a politician, a preacher publicly say, men, we need you? Just think about that for a moment. Culture has literally outsourced or canceled much of what is unique to a man. Think about this. We live in a time when mental aptitude is valued more than physical strength. Most men I meet today, especially young men, they don't know what to do with their physical strength. Men are no longer encouraged to work with their hands. Why work harder when you can work smarter, engage your mind? That's what men are told today. And this shift from a physical strength to a mental prowess is problematic, especially when the training of the mind, both in method and arena, is designed for women and the way that women learn best. What we're doing right now, you sitting quietly in these rows, listening to someone lecture, is is how a woman best learns, not a man. Which is why if you go to any service academy, go to the Citadel, go to West Point, go to the Naval Academy, and you walk into a professor's classroom, there's typically a baseball or a football sitting on the desk. You know why? Because when they ask questions and when they want to engage men, they will throw the football to that man, and he has to catch it before he answers. And when the next man answers, he'll throw the football to him. What we're doing right now best serves women. And I'm not saying that's right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just saying it is what it is. Culture has has refused to accept men and women are different. I just read an article in The Atlantic last week. I was an athlete. I get super um, encouraged and hyped when I see articles about athletics. And the, the article in The Atlantic said that we should cancel men and women's sports. That we should just make them sport No such thing as men and women's sport. And the article said the reason why women aren't able to compete with men today is because women from from birth are not given the, the bandwidth to live up to their full potential. I wrote a response to the Atlantic and simply said no one believes this. You can't take LeBron James and line him up against Sue Bird and say the difference is Sue Bird hasn't had a chance to live up to her potential. No one believes that. If Megan Rapahoe lines up against Ray Lewis on the line, I don't care if she's lived up to 10 of her potentials, Ray Lewis would crush her. It's because men are built differently. We can go into the science behind it and talk about 30% more bone mass and things of that nature. These are things that secular scientists agree with. But we, we live in a time that refuses to acknowledge men and women are different, yet, yet scientific evidence, both physically and psychologically, they, they demonstrate real differences between men and women. I'm just going to give you a few. Men and women have differing numbers of rods and cones in their eyes. Because of such, men can see distance and motion more clearly, while things like shapes and colors are more challenging. You've heard of men being hunters and gatherers. That's because physically, at 30 yards, men can track a deer generally better than a woman can. 
doesn't make a woman less than. Doesn't mean a woman shouldn't hunt. Don't hear me say that. I am complementarian. I'll just get that out there. But don't hear me say that. It just means that scientifically, physiologically, we can see motion and distance greater. Whereas colors, shapes, things like handwriting, we're not great at. Men and women think differently because their brains are different. Think about this. In males, the left side of the brain is used for verbal processing. The right side is used for art and creativity. On the other hand, women can process verbally on both sides of their brains. Women will make connections in different ways, which gives them an advantage in a classroom, especially in a classroom where verbal instruction is the primary form of teaching. Not to paint with too broad of a brush, men typically better learn in interactive environments. Men better learn when they're on the move, when they're using their hands. By by contrast, women best learn in traditional classroom settings. From Sunday school to university, our educational spaces and methods, they favor women. They're, They're built for women. And you say, well, Chris, I really don't agree with that or believe that. Well, let me talk to you about the results of that. American colleges and universities now enroll six women for every four men. This is the largest female-male gender gap in the history of higher education, and it's only getting wider. According to the Wall Street Journal, last year, U.S. colleges enrolled 1.5 million fewer students than five years ago, with men accounting for 70% of them. This is what Derek Thompson writes. Education experts and historians aren't remotely surprised. Women in the United States have earned more bachelor degrees than men every year since 1984. Since 1984. The imbalance reveals a genuine shift in how men participate in education the economy, and society. The world has changed dramatically. This led Harvard to release a a, a new study where they call it Bubba's South. They're seeing women in the South marry at a much, much, much later age. Why? Because they're just just prone to, to dismiss marriage? No, because they don't have any good candidates. And they're literally calling Georgia and Alabama and places like that Bubba's South, just uneducated men. And women who are hyper-educated, they're not going to marry them. Now, some have pushed back against this gender gap in education, stating that the decline in male presence in universities is due to blue-collar and trade work. Well, that's just not true. Right now, today, transportation companies are short 33,000 truckers. There's a national shortage of plumbers. 55% of plumbing jobs and positions are unfilled. Right now, electricians are in dire supply. Construction firms can't find enough qualified workers to complete jobs. Forbes, Forbes entity, calls the lack of unskilled laborers the next great supply chain disruption. So not only are men disappearing from university, men are also disappearing from the workforce as well. I'm going to give you another example. We're seeing the same trends in the military. They're called women warriors. 
They are barnstorming the armed forces. The Obama administration opened the floodgates. Again, I'm apolitical, right, wrong, or indifferent. They opened all combat positions to women, including ground force combat positions, which was never the case. Women are now our protectors, frontline warriors, a role that in the past was uniquely designed and reserved for men. The kings of the West not only send our sons to the front line, but now they send our daughters to the front line. I don't know if you know about the developed world, but how unique that is. Like that doesn't put America into the majority that most of the world, they do not send their women to the front line. And this is throughout history. You can go look at African tribes, Maasai warriors, right? They're not putting their women on the front line. What's the result? Well, the result are men are confused. <laughs> They're lost. And what's happening to generations of men, young men, generations of men, they have no idea of what it means to be a man. So so if they don't know how to keep score, if they don't know the game, this is what will happen. They will resign. They will resign their masculinity. To use a term that is popular during COVID, they they are slow quitting. Slow quitting is a phrase that came out of COVID. Slow quitting refers to people who resign from their jobs without ever really leaving. They just stop excelling at their work, doing the bare minimum, hoping to go unnoticed. They they want to be invisible. They want to set it and forget it. They say to themselves, I'll do just enough that my employer need not worry. Uh, And if I'm lucky, they'll just forget that I exist. The concept of slow quitting is where most men are today. They're just slowly resigning. Walking through the halls, head down, shoulders slumped. They are quitting their manhood. They are quitting their masculinity. They, they are resigning from all that God created them to be and do. And, and guys, if this, and, and women, if this doesn't, doesn't resonate with you, listen to this. Not only are they slow quitting um, their masculinity, they're giving up on life. The CDC recently reported that the rate of suicide is highest in middle-aged white men. In 2020, men died by suicide four times more than women. On average, there are 130 suicides per day. Men account for 70% of them. It gets worse when you look at addictions and incarceration and depression rates. These are the only categories that men lead out in. And I've watched these trends unfold for the last 15, 20 years. And I'm here. I'm here with you this week because I want men to be better. And and as leaders, this is where we start. We start by telling men, especially young men, that the world needs them. That the church needs needs them, that their future wives and families need them. The world needs heroes and ninjas and plumbers and husbands and dragon slayers and carpenters and lovers and cowboys and warriors and fathers and fighters and much, much more. The world needs them and 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 they need to fulfill the roles and positions that God instinctively and uniquely designed them to fill. 
Now, whether you like him or not, he's an intelligent man, Dr. Jordan Peterson, famed psychologist, philosopher. He recently railed against the progressive culture trying to castrate men. This is what Peterson says. He says, everyone says boys should be harmless and virtuous. Boys shouldn't do any harm. You should sheathe your competitive instinct. You don't want to be too assertive. He said, no wrong. Boys should be an absolute monster, and then they should learn how to control it. I tend to agree with Dr. Peterson on this. Inside every man is a beast. Don't placate the beast. Tame it. One day you'll need the beast to slay the dragon. And that's the exciting thing about fairy tales and folklore. Behind every dragon is one of two things, gold or a girl. Is it any wonder today that men lack both? Gold and the girl, why? It's because we've killed the monster. There's no one to fight the dragon. No one is willing to go after the gold or go after the girl. Man, we need to stand in front of our men and say, men, we need you. Yeah, you're a problem but you're a good problem. I love the story of the Apostle Paul when he shows up in Ephesus. Right in, the, right in the middle of Acts, he shows up in Ephesus and he starts working these wonders and he starts working these miracles and they're seeing all this go down. And seven sons of a Jewish priest, the seven sons of Sceva, they see Paul doing this. And they say, man, we want to do that. So they watch Paul cast a demon, uh, a, a demon out of a demon-possessed man, and they say, we want to do that. So they go looking for a demon-possessed man, and in one of the craziest stories of Scripture, they find one. And it's a, and it's a phenomenal um, conversation. They look at the demon-possessed man, and they say, um, in the name of Jesus, um, whom Paul proclaims, come out. And I love the demon's response. The demon goes, um, Jesus we know, Paul we've heard of, but who are you? Guys, I love that they had heard of Paul. I love that when demons get together, like in the break room, strategizing for the day, they talk about Paul. Are you going after Paul? Well, I don't know. Are you going after Paul? I don't know. We might need to bring two or three guys with us. I love that Paul is on the front, forefront of their minds. My prayer for men is that you are so much of a problem that when demons want to come at you, when demons want to come at your marriage, when they want to come at your family, when they want to come at your church, they say, wait a minute, he's a problem. Jesus, we know, and we've heard of Rex. Jesus, we know, and we've heard of Mark. We've heard of James. We've heard of my man Ray. He's a problem. I don't think we have enough of that today. We need more of that. We need to show men, men, you're a problem. But you're a good problem. How do we do that? Well, that's what we're going to unpack over the next three sessions. Anybody have any thoughts, comments, questions they would love to ask? This is being recorded. I'm assuming it's going to be played back somewhere. Um, so I will take the next five to six minutes to answer any questions. 
So, so what's the first step or the first course of action when you see a young man, say a man 25, maybe in his early 30s, that's not being um, the, man's, the man God has called him to be, the man that God wants him to be? My first step, my first thing is to sit him down and let him know that the world needs him. That if he's married, his wife needs him. If he's at a church, his church needs him. I want him to, to know that he's needed. Men, men used to wrestle, and we still do, with, with the sin of passivity. It's in the garden. It's a real thing. We still wrestle with passivity. I think more so today, it's not so much passivity as it is utility. And men don't have a sense of utility. They don't know how to be utilized or how society should or wants to utilize them. So it's less passivity and more utility. And what I want to tell young men today is be a five-tool player. Y'all know that baseball term? Be a five-tool guy. Man, be useful to your community. Be useful to your church. Be useful to yourself. Be useful to your future wife. Be useful to your future family. Yeah, that's such a great question. He's talking about multi-generational, not even necessarily discipleship. He just wants to put them in the same room. How do you get a, how do you get a 26 year old guy to come to a 71 year old's birthday party? So first get them all cookie cakes. No, don't do that. <laughs> how do you do that? Well, they've got to possess a level, a basic level of, of humility. They've got to see that there's something they can learn. Because this is what I'm learning. This is what I'm seeing. When you tell a young man, hey, there is something you can learn and this man right here can teach you, most people want to learn. They want to be taught something new. But it's not, and we're going to talk about this in session three, I believe, but it's a pedagogy versus andragogy. A pedagogy is how children learn and andragogy is how adults learn. Children learn because you tell them to learn. Young men and men and adults, when they're learning something, they need to know why I'm learning this. Right? So, so one of the things we need to do as we're trying to bring this multi-generational thing together is let younger men know why you need to learn this. Let me tell you why you need to learn this. One of the other things we say at the office at Better Man all the time is, is as we're producing better men and giving men a definition of what biblical manhood and masculinity is, we are mitigating future hurt. We are mitigating future hurt. Right now, there's, there's 200 men in the East Tennessee prison system. I just met with them a couple of months ago, going through a better man pilot right now. And I like to think we're mitigating future recidivism. I like to think we're doing that. And right now, at Watermark in Dallas, there's 500 men going through a better man right now. I like to think we're mitigating future divorces and abuses and addictions. Let them know why they need to learn. Great question. Why do we use the term language and license? I use that term specifically because Dave Ferguson taught me those terms, but it's because they're useful. For men to activate and for men to be inspired and empowered, they need to have a language. They need to know what they're talking about. Again, if you ask someone what biblical manhood is, they won't be able to tell you. Right? You can't become what you can't define, which is why for millennia now, the church has wrestled with discipleship. 
because we wrestled with a good definition of what discipleship is, which is really what discipleship.org is all about. It's providing a language for what discipleship is so that you can activate in that. So we want to give people a language. We use terms like masculinity fog to explain things what men are experiencing we use terms like a weightless manhood which is what most men go through today it's a manhood that doesn't carry any weight right so we give men a new language so that they can start to associate some of their problems some of their shortcomings some of their victories we give them a language and once they've got a language once you start to use our language our vernacular you're more empowered to then launch out in that license to then go do that for other men and we're going to talk about that in session three and session four great question last one yes sir two things came to mind while you were talking so good douglas wilson who wrote federal husband no it's not a super uh, super popular book um i think it's fantastic but wrote it Um, He said something I'll never forget. He said, what young men don't learn, men won't know. What young men don't learn, men won't know. And I love that. That's what you're talking about. And and I don't want to jump into a rabbit hole, but I do believe the greatest sin in the church today, the sin that no one talks about is the sin of partiality. James speaks to this. Matter of fact, he begins his letter with this, and that's the judging of people or the assumptions of people based upon what they look like, where they live, what they drive, etc. I mean, I'm tatted up, right? And I drive a vintage Indian motorcycle. Most people would have not pegged me for Robert Lewis's successor. <laughs> we can't be more opposite. <laughs> But Dr. Lewis is my mentor, and I love him very much. And never once have I ever felt, ever felt like he would pass any judgment or anything on me. But that's an ex- that's a beautiful observation, brother, and thanks for sharing that. Hey, I've got to wrap up. I hope to see you guys a couple more times tomorrow. If I don't, let me reiterate this. If you don't do anything else in your ministry context, do this. Publicly proclaim that we need men. The next time you have a chance to be in front of your congregation and in front of a group and there's men there, look people in the face and say, men, we need you. Let them know. Father God, I give you thanks for this opportunity and this time to be with these with these men and women. Man, it's so good, God. You are so good. We love you so much. We're here. We are in Nashville. I'm so happy to be out of that Texas heat, Lord, where things are green. I forgot how green things were. And I got to wake up this morning, Lord, and go for a run and feel that crisp air, God, and just know how good you are. And now here I am with brothers and sisters. I didn't even know existed, Lord, but we're together and we're talking about discipling, God. We're talking about moving people closer and towards you. And I'm so thankful for that, God. Father, I pray that the men and women in this room um, just, just grow in their appetite. They grow in their passion for reaching and and leading men, Lord, reaching men, men that will go out and, and make disciples who make disciples. I am convinced, I am convinced, God, if we want things to change in society, if we want things to change in the church, the change is going to have to begin in young men's hearts and old men's hearts and fathers' hearts and husbands' hearts. Lord. So I just pray that that would happen. King Jesus, I'm so thankful for you. The offer of forgiveness of sin, the gift of eternal life. You offer every man, every woman, every child who calls upon your name. We are here today because of that offer. And we thank you, King Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that episode from Chris. Stay tuned. We've got another one on its way. Track session number two from Better Man. Hey, I just want to say if you're new to the podcast, please click the subscribe button in wherever you're listening to this podcast. I would love to have you as one of our followers so that I can let you know directly when I release new episodes and special episodes throughout the year. Thanks in advance for doing that. And I hope that you have a fantastic rest of your day. Catch you on the next episode.